Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Again, it's so good to be with you and to open God's word um, together with you in the, in the Gospel of Luke. When, when Jesus is, is asked what the greatest commandment is, and that many of you may know this, he responds with, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and, and love your neighbor. He says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the, so the two things that we are most commanded to do by God are to love God and to love others, to love other people. And Jesus says that on those two commands sort of hang all the rest of the commandments of God. Right, so a question that we might ask ourselves is how do I grow in my love of God? How do I grow in my my love of other people? Right, so, so how do we? How do, we, how do we love Jesus more? I mean, if you've been in, in the church for very long, you might have some, some sort of ready answers for that. You might be like, we should pray more. You should read your Bible more. You should come to church more, right? But let me, let me just throw out a, a rather controversial suggestion here. Um, if you want to love Jesus more, be a bigger sinner, if you want to love Jesus more, frankly, if you want to love other people more, be a bigger sinner. Now, now before, you, before you throw me out of the service um, this morning, let me just clarify. I'm not saying that you should sin more. I'm saying that you should be a bigger sinner. That is, that is we need to understand, we need to do the work of sort of uncovering just how sinful we actually are. Be a bigger sinner. If you want to fall more in love with Jesus, then you need to rightly see how much grace Jesus has already shown to you, how much love he's given to you. So the the, the 19th century preacher J.C. Ryle says it this way. He says, Christ is never fully valued until sin is clearly seen. We must know the depths and malignity of our disease in order to appreciate the great physician. And so the story that we're going to look at this morning from Luke's gospel demonstrates this really well. We see Jesus interacting with two people, one who clearly knew her sinfulness and one who was resting on his own presumed righteousness. The story is found in Luke chapter 7. Verses 36 to 50. And so let me just read that for us this morning. Luke 7, 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. 
Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to him, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answered, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so the two people interacting with Jesus in this story could not be more different Simon the Pharisee would have been sort of known around town for his righteousness. While this this woman who we understand to be a prostitute in the city would have been known around town for her sinfulness. But maybe more important than how they would have been known, we should consider how they would have known Jesus. And we are given much of a, of a window um, into this, but it's clear that as word has gotten around about this Jesus, that it's come to both of them, right? Perhaps they've heard him teach, or maybe they, they've witnessed his miraculous works. We don't actually know, but in the verse just previous to the ones we read, we're told that Jesus has become known as a friend of sinners, And clearly this this friendship with sinners has been received very differently by Simon and by this woman. So how did they know Jesus? Well, Simon would have known him as sort of a, a rogue rabbi, right, who was soft on sin. He questioned whether he was a prophet and the idea that he was God or that he could forgive sins was was outrageous. It was offensive. It was heretical to him. But this woman She knew him as her redeemer, the one who had, in fact, forgiven her sin, one who was very much worthy of praise and adoration. And this this difference in how they knew him, this difference in perception results then in, in a much different reaction to him as well. But both reactions, both reactions are borderline embarrassing. So you've got Simon here who fails to demonstrate even like basic common decency to him. And then this this woman with such open adoration and worship has caused a spectacle of herself. Both interact with Jesus in undignified ways and yet their reactions could not be further from each other. 
And so if we were to place these two reactions sort of on, on a spectrum, I wonder, I wonder where you might fall. I wonder where, where I might fall on that spectrum. I think for most of us, we probably fall somewhere in the middle, which is probably why a story like this can kind of wash over us without much effect to us, because we're, we're neither one. We're neither openly hostile towards Jesus, nor are we sobbing at his feet in adoration. We, well, we love Jesus, right, in a sort of like dignified sort of way. I think that the question maybe that we, we ought to ask ourselves is not so much where am I on the spectrum, but am I growing? Am I growing in my love of Jesus? Right, if I take that rubric of the, of the greatest commandment, I might ask both, am I growing in my love of God? Am I growing in my love of other people? And what our passage seems to be telling us is this, and if you want to grow in your love of Jesus, be a bigger sinner. That is just know it. Know the deep depths of your own sinfulness so that you can see more clearly the depths of your forgiveness in Christ. Jesus, Jesus teaches us the, this point in the question that he asked to Simon in verse 41. Look at that verse again. Jesus says a certain moneylender had two debtors, right? One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them would love him more? And Simon answers, um, you know, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus agrees with him. It's an interesting question, right? Because Jesus kind of pulls together two of his favorite teaching tactics here, uh, parables and questioning. And he asks Simon this sort of strange parabolic question. But the point is clear. The more you are forgiven, the more you love. Right, but it's actually maybe a little bit more nuanced than that because I don't think that Jesus is simply saying, oh, why does she love me more? Well, because she's sinned more than you. But actually, what he's, what he's inviting Simon to do is to think a little bit more deeply about his own sinfulness and perhaps find that he, too, owes 500 denarii. Right? The same challenge comes to us. But as long as we see our debt to simply be the 50, we're going to lack in love of Jesus. You see, Simon knew he was a sinner. He was a Pharisee. He knew he was a sinner. He was making sacrifices for his sin, right? He believed that God was forgiving him of his sin because of those sacrifices. I think sometimes we think about Pharisees in the church and we think that Pharisees believed that they were all perfect. They didn't think they were perfect. They just thought they were way better than everybody else. And, that, and so they look around, right? This is what Pharisees do in the scripture. They look around, and they, they compare themselves and they say, well, I may not be perfect. I'm not as bad as that guy over there. And if you'll allow me to just maybe get a little bit ahead of ourselves in, in, in our story here in the book of Luke, I want to read you a parable that Jesus gives later in the book of Luke. It's in chapter 18. It's about the exact same thing. So let me just read it for you from Luke 18, 10 to 14. Here's this parable. Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray. 
one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners and unjust and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off by himself, right? He would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he just beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. The action of the Pharisee is to do two things. First, he points out the sinfulness of other people, and then he talks about his own righteousness. I'm not like those people. Look at how good I am. Look at all the right things I do. But the tax collector thinks about no one but himself and God. And when he does that, he can do nothing but just cry out to God for mercy. And Jesus says, it's the tax collector who went home justified. Now, I don't think that there's a person listening to this sermon in this room, online, there's not a person listening to this sermon who believes that they are perfect. Right, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's actually the point. You, you've confessed that you're not perfect. You believe that God has forgiven your sins. But do you understand how sinful you are? Do you understand the sheer abundance of grace that has been given to you in Christ? Or do you look around and think, I may not be perfect, but at least I'm not like them. I'm not as bad as, as they are. Friends, if that's our mindset, we will never love Jesus as we ought to, and we will never love others as we should. We need to be bigger sinners Right? Because as long as we are living in the light of our own righteousness, we will never live in the light of the gospel. Here's, here's the way Tim Keller says it. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That, my friends, is good news, but it will only be seen as good news when we actually look at the depths of our sin. So, so let's consider, let's consider Simon the Pharisee through the lens of the Pharisee praying in the temple. The first thing the Pharisee in the temple does is he points out the sinfulness of other people, and certainly this is the same thing that Simon does as well. When the woman comes in and begins to worship at Jesus' feet, Simon's focus is on her sinfulness. And then he judges Jesus for not joining in in his condemnation of this woman. And, and it's a fascinating exchange that takes place, mostly because the, the exchange is unspoken. So here's, here's what happens. Look at verse 39 again. It says, now when the Pharisee who had invited him, Jesus, in saw this, saw the woman, he said to himself, if this man, Jesus, were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman is touching him because she's a sinner. He says that to himself and then Jesus responds, Simon, I have something to say to you. 
And he goes into this parable. So Simon zeroes in on the sinfulness of this woman and then he evaluates Jesus based on her. And he comes to the conclusion that Jesus is no prophet. Because if Jesus were a prophet, he too would condemn this woman. Right, in other words, while he's focused on her sin, he is sinfully disbelieving in Jesus. Right, so if we think about it in terms of those two greatest commandments, loving God and loving others, Simon has failed miserably at both because he's so caught up in evaluating the sin of others that he doesn't even realize that he's in the presence of God himself. Right, but the thing that is particularly fascinating to me is that Jesus, who is not only a prophet, but the very son of God, answers Simon's internal dialogue, proving that he's the very thing that Simon doubted him to be all along. And, and, and if Simon, like the, like the Pharisee in the, in the temple, were to begin recounting his righteousness to Jesus, Jesus confronts him in this as well. And he points out that he has failed in even the simplest task of decency. So look at verses 44 to 46 again. Jesus says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. So the the culture of this time would call for these three things to be done when you have a guest over to your house, especially like a dignified guest, a visiting rabbi is coming to your house. This is like, he's like a superstar. He's coming to your house. What are you going to do? Well, here's what you should do. You welcome them with a kiss. You wash their feet. You anoint their head with oil. These aren't extreme measures. These are just basic decency of the day. Similar to how like if someone comes over to your house today, you might, you might meet them at the door, right? And you might take their coat You might offer them a seat. You might ask them if they'd like something to drink, right? Just common decency that we would do if someone was coming over to our house. So Jesus confronts Simon in the midst of this, a man who clings to his own righteousness with the reality of a severe lack, not just of righteousness, but just of basic kindness, Simon needs to be a bigger sinner, not by sinning more, but by realizing just how great a sinner he already is. But then let's consider this woman instead. This this woman comes in, she's learned where Jesus is, and she goes home and she gathers up what we can only take from the story to be the most expensive thing, the most valuable thing that she has, this flask of ointment, and she runs to where Jesus is, she comes, she finds him, and upon seeing him, she just falls down in worship. She's worshiping him in thankfulness for the forgiveness that she has found in this Jesus. She just begins to weep. And as she cries her her tears, she uses them to wash his feet. She, like the tax collector in our parable, pays no attention to anybody else who's present. All these judging eyes around her, she pays no attention to any of them. She's just focused on the fact that Jesus, that God himself is in front of her. 
And she takes this, this most valuable ointment of hers and she anoints his feet. She doesn't cling to her righteousness, but she clings to Jesus, the righteous one. She knows the depths of her sin and she has experienced the depths of his grace and in light of those two things, the only right response is just true loving worship of him. And my encouragement to us all is that we would be more like this this dear woman in Luke 7. That we would be a people who are deeply aware of our sin, but that we would be aware that the grace of God is deeper still. Friends, we must declare the truth that we are far bigger sinners than we give ourselves credit for, and God's love for us is far bigger than we give him credit for. And, and I would just draw our attention to the words of Paul in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul's gonna express what the gospel is and then he immediately gives it context in his own life. Here's what he says. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, or I am the biggest. Paul, the apostle, claims that he is the biggest sinner. Now, let me tell you, people try to backpedal here. People try to backpedal for Paul here. We try to make him say something other than what he said. I've heard pastors preach this passage, and they say, well, here's what Paul, Paul meant he used to be. Paul's like, I used to be the biggest sinner. The problem with that is what Paul actually wrote. The problem with that interpretation is that it's just simply not what he said. He didn't say, I was the foremost sinner. He says, I am the foremost sinner. So Paul recognizes the depths of his sin, even as he's out traveling the world, sharing the gospel with people. He recognizes the depths of his sin, and it's clear to me that the reason that he sees it is because he wasn't concerned with looking around at other people in judgment, but he was allowing the Spirit of God to examine his heart and to reveal reveal the depths of his sin. And friends, when we truly let the Spirit of God do that in us, when we ask the Spirit to make our sins known to us, then we too will declare, just like Paul, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Friends, I am the biggest sinner I know. It's It's the mindset that that Paul has. It's the mindset that we ought to have as well. Not because we're trying to win some game of like sinful one-upmanship, but because I know far more the ins and outs of my heart, the ins and outs of my sin than I do anybody else. I can testify to the weight and the gravity of my sin and depravity, but I can only see sort of the outer edges of yours. When we begin to see our sin rightly, we are far less likely to live in judgment of other people. We're far more likely to show to them patience and compassion in hopes that they might show to us patience and compassion in return. But we won't live that way 
until we realize just how much patience and compassion has been shown to us in Christ. But imagine, imagine what the church would be like. Imagine the ways that we would be able to engage the world if instead of living in judgment and comparison to other people, we spent our time simply worshiping Christ in light of his forgiveness. What if every time I was tempted to condemn someone, I instead took it as an opportunity to worship God for not condemning me? How would my welcome of the stranger change? How would my love of the sinner increase? How would my testimony of God's grace grow if I let people become witnesses to my worship instead of victims of my judgment? And isn't, isn't that the thing, right? When our, when our eyes... When our eyes are truly and fully on Jesus, they aren't able to roam the room in judgment of other people. And perhaps that's why the author of Hebrews tells us that as we run this race, that we should do so with our eyes fixed on Jesus. The greatest commandment is this, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you want to grow, if you want to grow in that love, you must first see the gravity of your sin and then see the majesty of God's grace for you. And so I'd encourage you this week, take some time. Set some time apart to let the Spirit of God examine your life. Take a sober look at your life. Evaluate your your actions and and your your motives and, and your thoughts. And don't waste your time. Don't waste your time comparing yourself to other people. Don't minimize your sin. Don't justify your sin. Just own it. Own it. And then as Acts 3 says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's the glory of our salvation. That's the reason that we can allow ourselves to own our sinfulness. We can be big sinners because we worship a bigger God who declares to us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and, and if you're listening um, this morning and, and you aren't a follower of Jesus, listen, this same gospel is for you. It, it may not always be obvious, but Christians believe that every one of us is a sinner, none worse than the next. And the only hope we have, the only hope we have is Jesus Jesus, who is the friend of sinners and yet was killed by sinners all so he could save sinners. And it's in his death and resurrection that we find hope because we're told in scripture that if we would repent and believe in him, there would be forgiveness of those sins. And so if you, wanna, if you wanna talk more about what following Jesus would look like, please let us know. We'd love to, to walk with you more through what that would look like. It doesn't matter how big a sinner you are, the grace of Christ is more than sufficient. So friends, see your sin and then see the grace of Jesus. Let it grow in your sight. And I'm confident that as that happens, your love for him and your love for other people will grow as well. Let's pray.